so in January, we started a sermon series together. We called it Finding the Way Forward. And in it, we were looking at some of the guiding principles that our vision team has discerned on behalf of Valley. I was sharing with you some of the core values that we believe are important for who we have been as a church and who we want to be as we continue to move forward. And we feel like those values, or I feel like those values, partnered alongside this this statement that we have for the reason that we exist. And I don't know, maybe it's called a vision statement, or maybe it's called a mission statement, or I don't really know what we call it. For me, it's just the reason why we exist, and it's on the bulletin, and you see it each week if you pay attention to that. But it says that Valley exists to make disciples, and that we feel like we do that as family. So it says we exist to make disciples as family on mission. We do that as being family together and being a people on mission, a people who are caring for one another, but also consistently looking out to the world and who it is that we need to serve. And our hope is that as we've looked at these values and we know that that statement exists, that those will be important guides for us as we continue to set ourselves up for years and years of ministry into the future. And we also, over the last several weeks, have intentionally partnered the sermon series that's been going on with some Wednesday night gatherings that have been happening. And you have been invited to come and join as, uh, together, we've tried to do some more discerning. We did the last of those this last Wednesday, so we just kind of wrapped up that first series of those meetings together. But the goal of them was to come together and to pray together and to listen for the voice of God together and to listen to one another as we were hearing God speak and to talk together uh, about some specific issues and some things that were going on that we needed to think about in the life of our church. So together we've talked about things that we're thankful for. We've talked about some of the needs that we see among our neighbors and the nations. We've talked about our own desires for valley and those alongside what we believe are God's desires for valley. We've talked about barriers, things that get in the way or stand in the way today of us becoming all that we believe that we have been called to be. And then we finished it up this week with the idea of talking about personal commitments. So if we see all these things and we see these ways forward and we even see some things that are in the way, what is it that we're willing as individuals and as a body to commit to if we're going to continue to walk forward into the future that God has for us? And we expect that the sermon series and the discerning and what the vision team has been doing and will continue to do in the, in the weeks and months ahead, along with our Wednesday night gatherings, will be Pivotal experiences in helping set our course for years ahead. But as we've done that, and and I mentioned that one of those weeks we talked about the idea of barriers, about things that, that stand in the way. Part of what we have to do if we're going to continue to figure out what we look like as a church, who we want to be as a church, is we've got to look at some of our growth areas. Some of our areas that we need to continue to grow in, that we need to continue to get better at. So we've talked about some of those and we've looked at some of those. And we're not done. We have to continue to do that if we're going to identify who we're going to be. But there's been one specific barrier that has been on my mind and in my heart really for several months. And it came up a time or two as we talked together as a church, and it's come up in other places. 
But I feel like it's one of the most crucial things that we're going to have to learn as a church if we're going to be able to stand firm on who we want to be, but also if we're going to be able to perpetually evolve to be the church that our culture needs us to be to actually make a difference in the world that we live in. That issue or that, that topic, that, that thing, is that we as a church have to get better at developing leaders among us. At helping to identify and raise up people who will help us discern the will of God for our body and then will lead us into what's happening and what's going on. Trying to exist as a church hoping that women and men will eventually drift into our body who can help lead us forward is a very dangerous and unwise way of stabilizing our future. We can't just hope that people might show up to lead us. We have to become more intentional about creating leaders among us, about creating people who have already joined us and committed to what it means to follow Jesus in the ways of valley and raise them up to help lead us forward and lead us into the future. Now, I have to be honest and I have to make a confession as we start this because we're going to have a conversation about it for a few weeks. I'm really bad at this. I'm not very good at creating leaders. I understand in some ways what it means to lead forward and what it means to, to kind of push into new territory and walk into new directions. But I'm not sure how to raise up leaders who will lead alongside me or who will lead after me or who, who will continue to lead in directions that I don't. So the reality is that as we talk about this issue and we look at it, it's an issue for me. And just the conversation is stretching for me. It is a stretch for me to imagine how do I do things differently so that I am helping raise up leaders alongside us. And yet I feel like the conversation is necessary. I have to get better. We have to get better. It's not fair to you. It's not fair to the kingdom of God for me to continue to lead as your pastor if I can't grow in the area of reproducing new leaders. We need that as a body, and we need that if we're going to make an influence on the kingdom. So for the next several weeks, we're going to try something. I don't really know how it'll go. I don't really know what all we'll talk about. I don't really know what all we'll do. I'm not even positive how long we'll do it. But I'm going to begin a personal study, and I'm going to invite you just to join me. Just to walk along as we're going to open up the gospel stories and look at the life of Jesus and his disciples and some of the things that he did as he tried to raise up leaders who would lead the movement forward after him. And we're going to look at these stories and try and find some lessons or some tips or some hints or some ideas for what Jesus had to say about developing leaders. What he had to say, what he did, how he modeled it, and what happened with that. Now, I'd be a whole lot more comfortable. Sermon series are always easier for me if I have some answers before we get started. Like if in some way I feel like I have some measure of expertise, not even a lot necessarily, but just a little more than some of you, in, in order to be able to talk about some things. But with this one, I'm not sure I'm there. I really, before I talk about what it means to lead and for us to develop leaders, wish that I'd read the 10 or 20 or 50 best leadership books that are out there so that I could glean from all of their wisdom and bring it back in. But I haven't done that. 
I don't have all of that information. I don't feel well prepared. I don't feel like I have all the answers. I don't feel like I've read enough books. I'm not even sure how I or we get better at this. So instead, I want to join you as a learner as we walk through this conversation. And I want us to open up the gospel stories and read and look and watch, ask questions, and hopefully grow in our understanding of what this means. And I think this matters deeply. It matters because Valley as a church needs some leaders who are going to help lead us into the future. We need more of us who are willing to shoulder the responsibility of leadership and walk forward with some of the things that we believe God is calling us to. But it also matters because in something or in some way, we are all leading. We may not all be naturally wired to be leaders. If we walk into a room full of leaders, we may quickly drift into the background and let others take the lead. But in some way or another, we are all leading something. We're leading families or households. We're leading in our workplaces or we're leading in school or we're leading among our friends or we're leading among our siblings. In some way, we are all leading something, even if all we're doing is leading our own life forward. In some way, we are all leading, and my hope is that as we look at this, that we can all get better in leading the way that Jesus' people lead. So are you with me? Maybe? Sort of? I can't hear very well, but one person said yes. I have no idea where it came from because everything's kind of muffled right now. I feel like my head's in a bucket. I am completely reliant on whether or not... Hirsch knows what's happening with the microphone because I don't even know what volume I'm speaking for sure. (coughs) But I do know that you don't like hearing that. Sorry. (coughs) So to start the journey, we're going to start in the book of Mark. Because lots of people believe that perhaps Mark was the first gospel story that was written down. So we're going to start in the beginning and open up the book of Mark and begin to read. And as I have already done so, I pretty quickly found something that I thought was fascinating. The story that I read, the story that's in Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. All four Gospels give us some version of the story of Jesus inviting some fishermen to come with him. We read the Mark story. The Matthew story is pretty similar. The Luke story adds some details into what's going on in the story. And then John's story is a little more unique. He tells it a little differently than the others do. So really quick theological side note, just so you have this as we begin. When you start reading stories in the Gospels, you're going to find overlapping stories, but you're going to find that it's not uncommon that those stories might vary a little bit from one another. That they might tell the story a little bit differently, that they might head in a different direction, or they might add some extra details that are in one story but not in another story. Just the reality of reading the Gospel stories. I want you to know as we do this... It is not my goal to explain the differences between them. There are are reasons that there are some differences, but it's not my goal to explain the differences. It's not my goal to choose why one is better than the other or different than the other. I'm also not interested in debating whether or not these variations somehow bring into question the validity of the stories or the validity of the gospel. 
Some want to ask those questions, but you need to know from me as we start, I believe the Bible is true. Now, some of you are going to throw things at me when I say this. I don't know if that means that every single story literally happened exactly the way the story is told or not. I, I don't know. But that doesn't change that the authors are telling truths. Truths that you and I need to understand about Jesus and his birth and his life and his ministry and his death and his resurrection. Truths that we need to grasp in order to fully understand Jesus, in order to fully understand God and what he's doing, in order to fully become the people that Jesus has called us to be. So we are reading truths. I personally believe that if this was some compilation of of manipulations or tricks in order to trick us into following Jesus, I think they would have done a better job. I don't think they actually did a very good job creating some document that tricks us. If they wanted to trick us, they would have made sure that their stories coordinated better. Like, it doesn't make any sense to put together a compilation of stories and have them not all match if somehow it's this grand conspiracy to convince us that something is true that's not true. They would have made sure that their stories all fit together better. They also wouldn't have included a multitude of cultural faux pas that made it less likely for some people to follow Jesus rather than more likely for some people to follow Jesus. There are all these cultural realities written into the gospel stories that for the people who were originally reading them, and even for us today, they don't help us want to follow Jesus. They're actually distracting. They actually push us away from the idea of following Jesus. I mean, can you believe the gospel stories say that if you want to be a part of following this man Jesus, you have to take up a cross every single day and follow him? Like, that's just a stupid way to convince people to join into this crazy idea. Make it easier. For me, the reality that there are variations and some things in it actually add to the idea that they're, that they're true. So we're not going to wrestle over that. That's not my desire. You can have those conversations. There's lots of great books on them. We can point you in that direction. You can read some of them if you want to. But that's not our intent. I think that the variations exist because of perspective differences. There are differences of perspective in what's going on. So how each of these authors saw or experienced or was a part of the story changes how they tell the story. What they understood as the driving point or the driving message in each one changes how they tell the story. Also, the audience that they were writing to changes how they tell the story. They weren't all writing to Valley Baptist Church. Sorry. But that was not their intent when they put these stories down. It was not for us, although God intended it for that. It was not written for us. So they had intended audiences in which they were writing to. And because of that, sometimes their stories don't all line up. Got it? That was a long side note. Sorry. Had to chase that rabbit trail just a bit. We won't do it every week, I promise. Well, I don't promise. I don't intend to do it every week. I hope I won't. Making promises is always dangerous because I don't know what will ever come out. So back to the story. Back to this invitation that takes place. This invitation from Jesus where he says, if you'll come and follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus somehow, as he spoke these words, connected it to their vocation as fishermen. Somehow he was calling them more deeply into what it was that they were already doing, into some version of what was happening. 
And I, and I love the ways in which Jesus over and over again speaks in relevant terms to those who he's talking to. To shepherds, he often talked about sheep. To farmers, he talked about farming. To homemakers, he talked about baking. To fishermen, he talked about fishing. So Jesus' invitation that we find in verse 17 says, Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. So I want this to be our first leadership lesson, our first little tip for what we do, our first little significant thing that we recognize. Leaders are fully committed. This story and others that follow where we find out about Jesus inviting people, we're told over and over again that they immediately left everything that they had. That they left their boats, they left their nets, they left their fish, they left their jobs. It's even possible that many of them left their families behind. They didn't want anything to get in the way of this opportunity that they had been given. That They responded in ways that were bold and brave and some might even say foolish. They left everything to go fish for people. Or did they? What in the world does that mean? What does it mean to fish for people? As I read the passage, I prepped this a couple weeks ago, but as I read the passage a couple weeks ago, even as I read it again this morning, I read it thinking, this is weird. What a strange invitation. What was it that Jesus was actually inviting them to? Maybe you've heard sermons. Or gone through Bible studies about what it means to be fishers of men. I have. I've even preached some of them. And we know that this idea of being fishers of men is this really powerful metaphor for evangelism, for the work of Jesus and the, the kingdom of God and, and, and the work that these men were being called into. But I have to be honest with you. The only reason I know that is because I've read more of the book of Mark. The only reason that I know that is because I've read deeper into the Gospels than just the beginning of Mark chapter 1. I know that because I've seen some of the work that Jesus intended for these men to do after their calling. I know that because I've read the book of Acts and I've read stories beyond that. So I've begun to see that and it, and it gives some understanding as to what it meant for them to go and fish for people. But we have no idea what that means in this passage right here. It doesn't give us any explanation or understanding. So I'm forced to wonder, what did they think Jesus was inviting them into? What did they think it meant that they would fish for people? As we look at these leadership principles, we're going to find that They'll have multiple applications for us to our faith life, to our jobs, to our to our life at school, to our families. And sometimes as we look to Jesus for leadership principles, we'll find that there's lots of overlapping things, things that, that fit in all different avenues and all different ways of life. There's some great books written about Jesus, just his person and his character being a great leadership model to follow after, whether or not you're a Christian or a Christ follower. Some of his principles are significant no matter where it is that you're leading or what it is that you're doing. But we have to recognize that as the church, as we look to Jesus, that Jesus' call to leadership 
was also distinctive. Jesus was doing something different. Jesus was interested in something different. He was longing for something spectacular to happen. So as we look at them and we recognize principles, we also have to look at ways in which this idea of leading Jesus' way is different from how the world understands leadership. And and right here in this story, I think we begin to see this. I think that perhaps the invitation that they received, the, the, the call to come and fish for people, was maybe curious to them. Maybe it intrigued them. What does that mean? Let's figure out what that means. But I don't actually think that they were most interested in the invitation because it had anything to do with fishing. I don't think they left everything behind because of any work. That Jesus was calling them into. I think that they left some of the most important things in their life behind immediately. Because they had been invited to go and be with a man who they were immediately impressed by. They left everything. Not to go fish for people. Although that was perhaps intriguing. They left everything to be with Jesus. Leaders are fully committed. And in the business world, that often means that they're fully committed to their industry or they're fully committed to their quotas or they're fully committed to their company or they're fully committed to their co-workers or in some way that they're fully committed to some of this idea of what's going on. But I don't think Jesus was actually looking for people who were fully committed to some kind of work or some kind of job or even to the church. I think Jesus invited women and men to leave everything behind As a sign of being fully committed to Jesus and to Jesus only. Not to the work, not to the fishing for people, but fully committed to Jesus. The invitation that caused them to leave everything behind is that they had been invited to go and be with Jesus. And I think that was enough for them. They didn't even know who he was yet. They didn't know what he could do. They didn't know what he would do. They just knew that they wanted more of Jesus. Now, in some of the other stories, that there's some struggle with trying to figure out what does it mean that they wanted to follow after Jesus. So in, in Luke's story, we get a little more information about them seeing some of the things that Jesus had done. Luke includes in his story, in his invitation, that Jesus had told them to go back out in the water, go deeper than they had before. They'd fished all night, caught nothing, but go deep out into the water, throw their nets out again. And what happened? They were overflowing with fish. There's, there's a reason that Luke says they were impressed by Jesus. In John's story, it's John the Baptist's testimony. John the Baptist gives testimony that, that Jesus is something spectacular, something unique, something different. So some of John's disciples leave John and follow after Jesus. They give some reason. They give some clarity. But Mark's story doesn't give that. Mark's story just says, Jesus came to these men and said, come with me. And that was enough. So, Valley, as we begin this conversation about what it means for us to lead and for us to raise up leaders and for us to become better leaders, I want us to start in the same place that I feel like these disciples started. 
Jesus invited them to come follow him. And we watch in this here and later as other disciples join in, women and men join what's happening, that these were people that were fully committed to nothing but Jesus. And I don't know about you, but there is nothing that I want to be more true in my life. Nothing that I want to be more true than that people would say he is committed to nothing but Jesus and what Jesus desires for him to do. There's nothing that I want to be more true of the women and the men that lead us in the future. The women and men that lead us forward into becoming who we've called to be. That they be men and women who are fully committed to Jesus. As leaders, that means that we are more committed to Jesus' ways than we are to our own desires. That we're more committed to the ways of Jesus that we are, than we are our own personal preferences. That we're more committed to the ways of Jesus than we are to acquiring personal power or fame or respect. That we're more committed to following Jesus than we are to our own idols, to our past victories. Even to previous understandings of who Valley is or was or is supposed to be. It means that we are more committed to Jesus than anything else. So as women and men fully committed to Jesus, it means that you and I individually and as a body are growing in our own faith. Not just that we're fulfilling religious obligations, but that we are growing in our love for Jesus. That we're becoming more and more faithful to the sacred rhythms we've spoken about, or spiritual disciplines, or or these faith practices that we've talked about in the past. These opportunities that give us the chance to fall more and more in love with Jesus and who Jesus is. It means that as, as leaders, as people of faith, that we are more and more committed to becoming healthy whole individuals believing that we have been created to be whole and healthy mind and body and soul being healthy growing as leaders growing as people in faith means that we're becoming more and more open to the presence and the power of the holy spirit among us As Jesus left these first leaders, he left them with a promise that the Holy Spirit would stay with them, that he would be with them, and that the Holy Spirit would lead them forward. And we want the same to be true of our own lives and of our church. These first followers of Jesus, the future leaders of the church, we find out as we read farther into the story, they didn't always do it perfectly. But this was their primary calling. This was their life commitment. This was the reason that they left everything behind is because they were fully committed to being in the presence of Jesus. They were fully committed to living Jesus' ways. They were fully committed to following the man that they would one day come to see as the Messiah. No matter the future that exists for us, I want Valley to be a place that builds a legacy of developing people who are fully committed to Jesus. No matter what else happens or what it looks like or where we go. 
that we can celebrate above all else that we have helped women and men become more faithful to Jesus' desires for their life. There's nothing more important in the work of disciple making. And I think that this is the first work of us creating leaders Jesus' way. That we develop leaders who are fully committed to Jesus above all else. So we set our sights on this. And we long to grow in these ways. Pray with me, would you? Precious Lord Jesus, will you help us see you more clearly? Will you help us trust you more fully? Will you help us follow you more boldly? Jesus, will you make of us a people who are known most significantly by our absolute commitment to you above all else. And Lord, as we pray for and we look for and we strive to raise up leaders among us, Will you help us recognize women and men who are fully and deeply committed to Jesus? Amen.